Today on Blue 58, no matter who the Packers quarterback is, the Packers will have an abundance of pass catchers on the field and available pretty much at all times. But having a lot of guys who can catch the ball is one thing. Having good guys, that's something else entirely. And whether or not the Packers have a bunch of good guys at wide receiver and tight end is still very much up for debate. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. We're talking wide receivers, we're talking tight ends today, and we've got a lot of guys to get through. So what that means is we're going to take a break from Blood, Sweat, and Chalk just for this episode, but then we'll resume that uh, next week. Just not because I don't think that's important, but because I want to make sure that we have enough time to really get through all of the guys who are available to the Packers right now at wide receiver and tight end. So the, the roster is at 90 guys right now. 19 of them are either wide receivers or tight ends. And if we're going to set expectations for that many guys, it's going to take us a while. Setting expectations is the name of the game. That's what we're doing here over the, the next few days and weeks as we get ready for training camp to kick off on July 28th, 20 days away as of this recording. Why do we think setting expectations is important? Well, in, I guess, one short description, it be, it's because... It allows us to say confidently whether or not uh, we think that a guy had a good season. If we knew going in what we expected of him and he either lived up or didn't live up to those expectations, we can say, well, he did good or did not so good. It also helps us work through some of the strengths and weaknesses on this Packers roster, which brings me to the wide receivers and tight ends. The guys with high expectations generally are the the guys that you're going to be counting on to be high-end performers on your team. And looking at wide receiver and tight end, you can see why this has been a little bit of a concern for Packers fans the last couple of years. Looking at my notes, looking at the 19 guys we're going to talk about, I've only got five guys for which I feel I can reasonably have high expectations at wide receiver and tight end this year. We're going to, to talk about the reasons for that over the next couple of minutes. But just understand that sometimes high expectations mean different things for different guys. However, those still should be the guys that are that are helping to avoid using, well, to half use an expression I really don't like. Those are the guys that are stirring the drink for you, the straws that are stirring the drink. These are the guys that are making it happen for you. The, the high performers are going to have a, accordingly high expectations. Not always, but um, that's generally what I've found in, in doing this process. So let's dive right in. To wide receivers. Sometimes high expectations mean your preview is really short, and that's what you get with Devontae Adams. How do you have anything but high expectations for him? Best wide receiver on the team, one of the four or five best players on the team, maybe top three, maybe top two, depending how you feel about guys like David Bakhtiari, Zadaria Smith, Kenny Clark. He's right up there with Aaron Rodgers at the, the tip-top of the Packers roster right now. So what does high expectations look like for Devontae Adams in 2021? To me, it looks a lot like uh, 2020. We have seen statistically productive Devontae Adams before. We've seen dominant Devontae Adams before. But we never really saw both of those things come together in a season like 2020 in Adams' career. By far the best year of his career. Let's do that again, please. We're not saying you have to have as many stats or, or as fill up the box score quite like he did in 2020. But the Packers should be able to count on Devontae Adams being statistically dominant and dominating opposing teams week in, week out, as they did in 2020. And if Devontae Adams has anything to say about it, 
hopefully he's getting a uh, another big contract here uh, before the start of the season. Though there has been some back and forth about how realistic that actually is. However, uh, I hope that the that they get that done if if they do indeed want to keep him around. So Devonte Adams, yeah, of course, high expectations, and uh, of course he should still be good in 2021. What about Marquez Valdez Scantling? I've got him next up on my list, and I think I've got high expectations for him for a couple of reasons. First, high for the team. As far as the Packers go, Marquez Valdez Scantling might be the most physically gifted receiver on the roster. It's probably him or Alan Lazard, just in 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 terms of you know the overall height, weight, speed package. MVS a little bit faster, obviously, than Lazard. Okay, probably a lot faster. Lazard's significantly bigger. Both elite athletes, but MBS is probably in a class by himself. The Packers need him to play up to those physical gifts. They've got to have high expectations for him because he's really the only guy like him on the roster. But he has to have pretty high expectations for himself, too, I've got to think, because if he has a big season this year, he's going to make a gazillion dollars next spring from the Packers or from somebody else. A six foot three, six foot four, four three eight, forty yard dash guy who can give you, you know, seventy five catches at twenty yards a pop. People are going to be lining up to give him a lot of money if he can have a season like that. It, he's going to be well. He's already probably doing pretty well financially, but he's going to be set for you know generational wealth. There's a lot on the line for him this year, and if he can live up to that for himself, if not. Also for the team, he stands to profit pretty mightily. So what does that look like? I think it comes down to a kind of soft expectation. You can't say, well, I did say 75 catches or whatever. That was just a for instance. But I think more to the point, the stats have to match the hype for MVS. He's got to produce like a guy who's got the physical attributes that he does. If you want to slant things a certain way, you can make him look like he's already doing that. He was amazing at some things last year. If you, you know, manipulate the data a certain way and say, well, you know, among guys with this many targets, he was the only guy who averaged this many yards per catch. And there's only so many guys who had touchdowns of this length and this quantity and things like that. And you could do stuff like that and make him look amazing. He was pretty good last year. But what you need from MVS is the no slant good stats. You need stats that nobody can argue with, nobody can define down and say, yeah, well, you're, you're kind of just stacking the numbers a certain way. He just needs to be good, period. And if he can be good, that probably means he's being consistent, which has kind of always been the knock on him. And if he can be consistent, he'll probably put up some pretty significant numbers. So that's MVS for you. Alan Lazard is the third wide receiver, I think, who's facing high expectations uh, this year. For him, I think high expectations come from being so close to greatness. And really, it's it's unfortunate that he's kind of a victim of circumstance, but Alan Lazard kind of had his 2020 season taken from him. Not through any doing of his own. He ends up on the shelf with a, a sports hernia injury, a core muscle injury, whatever terminology you want to use. It's a muscle tear in his abdomen that sounded extremely painful uh, and pretty much robbed him of all of his explosiveness down the stretch, though he did come on pretty well in the playoffs too. It's going to be a high bar to get back to that level, but he's got to be able to consistently produce again. So what's that look like? Well, by some measures, he was the most efficient wide receiver in football pre-injury last year. If you go by Football Outsiders numbers, he was way up there at the tip top. Lots of big catches, uh, lots of touchdowns. He was doing really well. 
maybe he doesn't have to get to that level, but he's got to at least play like he's capable of being that guy again. And I'm fairly confident that last year he was never 100% again after that injury, no matter what the Packers, no matter what he may have said. He just did not get back to full strength. He did not look like he was at full strength. And that kind of jives with everything that we've read about a core muscle injury. It takes the only thing that can really fix it. You can do a surgery that is going to help you be short, better in the short term. But the only thing that's really going to fix it is time. And that's one thing you really don't have during a professional football season. You don't have time to sit and rest and recover. If he is fully recovered, I don't see any reason he can't be close to that guy again in 2021. He certainly has all the physical tools to do it. It's just a matter of will he or won't he. Up next is 2021 third-round pick Amari Rogers. I'm coming down on a pretty moderate level for him, kind of caught between two extremes. On the one hand, third-round pick should have pretty high expectations there. Uh, on top of that, a, a third-round pick the Packers traded up for. On the other hand, he's a third-round pick with at least three guys on the depth chart ahead of him. How high can your expectations really be for a guy like that? What do moderate expectations look like then? Even if he's not producing big statistical numbers, I think it's fair to expect Amari Rodgers to, one, find a role for himself, and two, perform in that role, even if it isn't big stat-wise. Look at the Tyler Irvin role, for instance, kind of something we've penciled him in for, that motion role, jet motion, you know, a lot of lateral running for the Packers. That is a role that doesn't necessarily have to produce a lot stat-wise to have an impact on the opposing team. If Rodgers can earn enough confidence from the coaching staff to get on the field in that role early in the season, I think that's a success. Even if he's not producing statistically, if he can show that he's capable of of uh, performing those duties uh, and just being a threat to be a pass catcher on the outside after running laterally, I think that is a success for him. So if he finds himself in that role, even if he's not catching a whole ton of passes, that's a win for the Packers, and I think that's a win for Amari Rodgers. Starts getting a little tough from here. Uh, starting with Devin Funches. Uh, I have him for pretty moderate expectations too. On the one hand, like Amari Rogers, he's a a noteworthy acquisition, a free agent signing at wide receiver, something that people have asked the Packers for for a long, long time, me included. On the other hand, he's basically been out of football for two years. You like his physical tools. You like that he has some productive history behind him, even playing with the less spectacular quarterbacks than what the Packers hopefully will be using this fall. Um, it there is a lot to like, but there are some concerns there. So what does that look like? I think Funches at least has to make it a conversation between himself, Equinemia St. Brown, and Malik Taylor. So looking back up the depth chart, Devontae Adams is a lock. Marquez Valdez-Scanling is a lock. Alan Lazard is a lock. Amari Rodgers is a lock. From there, you've got Funches, you've got Equinemia St. Brown, you've got Malik Taylor as guys who nominally, at least in, in a couple cases there, were around the Packers last year. Funches has to make that a hard decision. Uh, well, hopefully, actually, he makes it an easy decision. Says for sure, Funches is number five there, and let's EQ and Malik Taylor fight it out for six. Uh, but he's got to at least be above those guys, if nothing else. Uh, at least show that you're competitive. And I think that's a pretty low bar to reach, but really, for a guy who's been out of football for two years, anything beyond that seems like just a bonus. That brings us to Equinemius St. Brown and really everybody else on the roster from this point uh, with low expectations. It's hard not to have, I think, low expectations for Equinemius St. Brown. He had some good moments in 2018. Uh, he had a ruined season last year or in, in 2019. 
And then he had, uh, you know, some fits and starts in 2020, along with a couple more injuries. Kind of the opposite of Marquez Valdez-Scantling to date. While MBS has had some up and down, ups and downs on the field, he's generally been pretty healthy, although there were some, some issues in, in 2019. Uh, but he has found a role, and he has at least, if not thrived, grown in that role for the Packers. EQ, not so much. Kind of a fringe player at this point, not even kind of, definitely a fringe player at this point. And what even qualifies as a good season for him? Where would you go that would raise the bar from low to moderate or even high? So for EQ, I think the expectations are making the roster, probably working as something like a punt gunner with maybe 100 to 200 offensive snaps. That'd be a pretty good season for him. He still should have some juice uh, being a former draft pick, although I'm not sure how much that um, weight, the weight that carries heading into your fourth year here. Still, you got to think it counts for something because they thought enough of you to draft you way back in the day. Maybe that gives him an inside track over Malik Taylor. Let's talk about Malik Taylor, though. Similar to Equinemius St. Brown, going to have low expectations, but I'm saying similar, not the same. I think for him, it's low expectations because of where he falls on the depth chart. Look who's ahead of him, not even counting Equinemius St. Brown. You've got all-pro Devontae Adams. You've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who is very similar in many respects to Malik Taylor, but a lot more productive when he's on the field. You've got Alan Lazard, who is a giant dude who was super good last year pre-injury. You've got Amari Rogers, who is a 2021 third-round pick. Good luck taking that roster spot if you're Malik Taylor. And you've got Devin Funches, another giant dude who is legitimately pretty good in the NFL as a wide receiver before. That is a tough climb, even if you were on the roster in 2020. Taylor's got a lot to recommend uh, in, in his game. He's got good size. He's got good athleticism. He's got special teams ability. He can return kickoffs. He can do coverage stuff. Uh, but I think that puts him pretty much at best in a fight for Equinemius St. Brown for spot number six, unless he has really expanded his offensive game. So really, what's the best case scenario here? I think he's probably looking at a plus version of last year. At the very best, find a way to be the light version of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You've got good speed. Figure out a way to work yourself into the offense as something of a deep threat. We're going to burn through these last five or six guys pretty quickly here because, honestly, there's not a lot going on here. Reggie Bagleton. Open question as to whether or not he was a disappointment last year. I think it probably leans closer to no than to yes, although there were a lot of people who were pretty excited about him last year. You like his size as a big slot, but best case scenario, he's making the 53, probably headed for the practice squad more than likely. That's the more realistic scenario there too. Juwan Winfrey, nice size, some NFL experience, including with the Packers. Again, headed for the practice squad, probably in the best case scenario. Chris Blair, uh, maybe Malik Taylor, but the 2021 version. Pretty good athlete, 6'2", 206, 447 in the 40-yard dash. Averaged 21.2 yards per catch his final college season, but bounced around a lot in college, was all over the place. Finished up at Alcorn State. Now it looks like he is probably going to be a practice squad candidate at best, though you never know. Bailey Gaither, one of the uh, few undrafted free agents of 2021 for the Packers, comes in, I think, with low expectations as well. Probably rounds out as a more athletic Alex Gillette. Look up that name if you want a, a bit of a throwback for a practice squad ride receiver. He did pretty well in college, uh, pretty athletic, but very slightly built. This is a pretty small dude. Probably looking at the practice squad at best for him as well. Finally, De DeAndre Tompkins, 
uh, maybe a long shot outside contender for the Tyler Irvin role, but really that's about it. 5'11", 192, 4'3", 4'40", yard dash type guy. As a fringe guy, I think he's pretty interesting. Probably more interesting than any anybody else who's below Malik Taylor on the depth chart right now. But still, that's a pretty narrow path to the roster. And accordingly, you've got to have pretty low expectations for him. Sit pause here for a second. Want to take a second and shout out a couple of our Patreon supporters. Today, we're shouting out Rudy Gesh, Orlando Garza, and Margie. Just gave us the name Margie. Uh, Thank you to each of those individuals for being Patreon supporters. And thank you to everyone who has chosen to support us there. If you'd like to support us as well, help keep the lights on here. Help us uh, offset hosting costs and and, uh, just keep going with everything we're doing here. Head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Uh, chip in any amount you feel comfortable donating per month, and uh, we'll get you some things in return. We'll get you some bonus content. We'll get you access to our Discord server, which is a lot of fun. And uh, we will get you a shout-out here on the podcast as well. So feel free to head over there. We'd be ever so grateful if you did. Good? Good. Let's talk tight ends. First up, Robert Tunyon. He has, without a doubt, the highest expectations of any tight end on the Packers roster in 2020. 2021, rather. It is 2021. It's July. Should be used to saying the date by now. Uh, He had a great season in 2020. uh, But really what I'd like to see is a more complete version of the tight end that we saw in 2020 on the field in 2021. What's that look like? Not a hard and fast rule here, but Really, I'd like to see him be more of a consistent, non-schemed threat to defenses. Last year, it felt like a lot of his big plays, a lot of his touchdowns were just schemed open, just a result of him being a six foot three, two 240-pound dude who's relatively fast, being able to follow a line that someone has drawn in a playbook. Now, there's a lot of guys that are big and tall and fast who cannot do that. How many guys have we heard about who have flamed out of the league because they couldn't master an NFL playbook? There have been... A lot of them. Uh, you remember guys like Kennard Backman, uh, DJ Williams, uh, Brandon Bostic, if we want to invoke a name like that, uh, Spencer Havner, Havner, uh, guys that, you know, found roles in smaller ways, some maybe bigger than they even should have had at all, uh, but guys that never really figured out ways to either harness their athleticism or carve a niche into the offense. Uh, beyond just being an athletic dude. Sometimes it works out and you have a random multi-touchdown season like Spencer Havner. Sometimes it doesn't work out and you end up just kind of hanging around for a couple years like Kennard Backman. Robert Tunyon has far out, outstripped any of those guys, but you'd like to see him take it to the next level, be more than a guy who's just uh, an athletic big dude in an offense that is very creative and good at getting guys schemed open be a real matchup nightmare, be a guy who can really win one-on-ones. That's going to take him from second-round restricted free agent tender to big money guy in the near future if he can do something like that. And I'm excited because I think he's very capable of doing that given what we've seen uh, as far as improvement in his game over the years already. Uh, Shout-out related to that, one of Ted Thompson's final moves as Packers general manager was to ink Robert Tunyon. Thank you very much, Ted. Mercedes Lewis next up. Kind of a going against the grain here. Pretty moderate expectations for Mercedes Lewis. Normally a guy like him I think you'd, you'd have high expectations for, but he's got such a defined role, and it's honestly a pretty small role, 
And honestly, he's probably going to fill it pretty, pretty easily. Uh, just be a big, uh, hard blocking dude who occasionally catches check down passes when nobody's watching him. Just keep being Mercedes Lewis, Mercedes Lewis. That's all we ask of you. Josiah DeGuara. I would love to have high expectations for him, but coming off an ACL tear, it's got to be no higher than, than pretty moderate for him. And I think it almost looks like a, a slightly reduced version of 2020 if, you, if you're looking at his role. Though he does look good in, in the little clips we've seen on social media from, from practice, uh, he's already, you know, without a knee brace on the field, that's got to be a good sign. I think the Packers are probably going to bring him along pretty slowly. And he's going to be a guy that finds a bigger and bigger role as the season goes on. Kind of like a guy like Dominique Daphne did last year, but a, a really good athlete um, and a guy who's probably got more experience in that role than Daphne did coming into the Packers last year. I don't think he's going to be a big contributor early on, maybe in the entire first half of the season, but I think he'll get worked in. And there's a lot of athleticism there and some pretty good size for the role they're going to have him playing. So I think he will probably ultimately be pretty successful. Dominic Daphne up next, pretty low expectations. Um, He is the low expectations version of Josiah DeGuara. Look, a good athlete, a guy who can do a lot of things, but the Packers aren't going to count on him for a whole lot. So what's that look like for him in 2021? Probably a lot like 2020, but maybe slightly more opportunities. And depending on what happens with this next guy, there may be more opportunities to be had sooner rather than later. The next guy up I'm talking about is Jace Sternberger. Other than Robert Tunyon, he is the only guy for whom I have high expectations in the tight end group. Why is that? couple reasons. First, former third-round pick. Packers thought enough of you to take you in the first three rounds. That counts for something. Second, he hasn't really shown anything to this point in his career. As a result, it is put-up or shut-up time. And uh, given that he's going to be starting the year with a two-game suspension, he's going to have to put it up pretty quick and pretty fast. Uh, What does that look like then? Well, he's going to have to come back from that suspension firing on all cylinders. There's going to be no breaking-in period if the Packers stick with him beyond that suspension, and they've given every indication that they are going to do so, at least to this point. Then, find a real, actual role. At this point in your career, Jay Sternberger, what are you exactly? Are you a Robert Tunyon? Uh, a smaller size but still movable piece at tight end who's a little bit more than an H-back but not quite a wide receiver? Are you a Mercedes Lewis? You're just going to line up with your hand on the ground, you know, like the classic what they, the, the film junkies online always call the Y tight end. Are you a Josiah DeGuara, the, the F in the Packers offense, uh, that H-back movable piece mostly in the backfield? What are you? Just find something and grow into it and contribute in a meaningful way because the Packers have picked up undrafted free agents in Robert Tunyon and Dominique Daphne, who've been able to find those roles a lot quicker than Jay Sternberger, the former third round pick. They've also got Mercedes Lewis, who's a thousand years old, who can do traditional tight end things better than a lot of these guys who are a decade younger than him. Sternberger's got to figure out what his role is with the Packers and fill it and fill it well and fill it early. Two tight ends to go, both sort of curiosities as much as anything. You've got two different ends of the spectrum here. First, uh, Bronson Kalfusi, the former defensive lineman, uh, coming in with pretty low expectations because, as I said, former defensive lineman, now switching to tight end, how can you have anything but the lowest possible expectations for him? Anything you get out of him is an absolute, absolute bonus. He's not played the position since long, long time ago. 
rarely if ever as a pro. For him, I think all it takes to be a success this season is just don't look incompetent at tight end. That doesn't mean you're going to make the roster, but just don't look like you're a fish out of water. Don't look like you're making it up as you go. Because if there's anything that gets sorted out pretty quickly in the NFL, it's frauds. And if he is just making the switch as a lark, and I don't think the Packers think that's what's happening, otherwise they wouldn't have him around, it's going to be an an experiment that ends really, really quickly. But as long as he doesn't look like a complete waste of space out there, he's probably going to get a chance because he's got good size, pretty good athleticism. And if you can work him up into something, who knows, with those physical tools. That's worth taking a shot on. As long as he doesn't look incompetent, who knows what his path forward could be. Finally, Isaac Nauta out of Georgia. Low expectations because he's basically Dominique Daphne with lower expectations. One of these smaller kind of tight ends the Packers tend to keep on the roster, filling that H-back, F-back sort of role that is present in the uh, Shanahan, LaFleur, Sean McVay sort of offense. If Nauta can be Dominique Daphne with lower expectations, I think that's a big win for him because there are enough teams around the league that run some variation of this scheme that he can probably find a job if uh, if he can look reasonably competent. Reasonably competent, maybe a high bar, uh, given the very specific needs that that position tends to have, but you never know. Uh, he may be able to, to fill that role quicker than we think. It happened with Dominique Daphne last year, and there's no reason that he can't do it again this year. So I've got for you in this episode, I appreciate you listening in as we took this whirlwind tour through all of the tight ends and receivers on the Packers roster. If you enjoyed it and think somebody else would enjoy it as well, it'd mean a lot to me if you would go ahead and share this episode with somebody else. That is the number one way this program grows is through word of mouth, and uh, I appreciate everybody who helps spread the word. Makes It means a lot to me personally and helps get more people on board with the program. Uh, as always, getting more people involved is the ultimate goal because having more people around, having more people engaged helps all of us become smarter Packers fans, me included. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.